0: hello this is co-host robert what you're listening to is a rebroadcast of a classic forgot my dice episode that originally aired on the freebooters network as always this content is a year old and covers topics and news that have long since happened but feel free to check out the show notes on forgotmydice.com join our patreon and join us in the forgot my dice fans facebook group enjoy the show
1: Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. In fact, it's episode 18. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the Tales from the Loop to My Stranger Things. Mr. Robert Lundgren, how are you? Pondering. That is acceptable. I'm good. Hello, hello. (laughs) And we're going to be talking about Tales from the Loop a little bit later in this episode. But before we get started, a few announcements. And the first announcement is, of course, we are in the middle of our Patreon drive. You've got all the way to episode 20 to subscribe to our Patreon. And for one lucky winner, we're going to have a complete set of the Savage
0: Rifts RPG books. What does that include, Robert? the tomorrow legion players guide the game masters guide and savage foes of north america
1: yes so make sure you go over to patreon there's a link to it from our website there'll be a link in the show notes and give us a little bit of a tip it just helps to keep the lights on here and keep everything running and cover the costs of the show and we have lots of cool stuff to give away and we'll be revisiting that a little bit later on as we age as a podcast because i'm sure we'll have plenty of other fun things to give you all right, well, let's go ahead and get to our off-the-shelf segment. And this segment, of course, covers everything that we've had an opportunity to get off the shelf. It is, of course, board games, RPGs, and all the cool, fun, geeky stuff that we do. So let's go ahead and get started. Robert, let's get video games out of the way because I know that what your current obsession is.
0: What? Destiny? Yeah, get it out of your system. What? I've been playing a lot of Destiny? Without context, it's not its not at, at all remotely interesting. What do you want me to say? I got the whale. I upgraded it to 390 today. I was really happy about that fact.
1: I played the game and I don't even know what you mean.
0: Yeah, well, that's because the whale was not in the game at the time. Maybe. It is a hand cannon and uh, it, it has some cool stuff. Not the least of which is if I kill somebody with a precision headshot or whatever, sometimes they explode, which is fun. <laughs> I've actually had a lot of fun talking about it to you because you played it back, and it's like, how shall we put this delicately? It's sucky phase. Yes, I, I before I, I the taking King launch, came out,
1: and I played through it and maxed out several different characters, and just got bored.
0: Yeah, yeah. But I, I had the benefit of seeing it, like, way, way down the line yeah. when everything's I never, I never played any of the patches, to be absolutely fair. Or the two expansions. And I, I, I understand
1: and... it's gone through some pretty radical changes.
0: Yeah, so it's just funny when I'm, like, saying things and you're looking at me like I, I'm I'm talking about, like, setting my hair on fire and running around. <laughs> like, it, It's it's, it's very amusing to me. But yeah, no, I've, I've been really enjoying that game. I actually pre-ordered Destiny 2. I broke the rule like the Kotaku says you're not supposed to pre-order games but I went and did it anyway because I I wanted to pre-order the game I wanted to get that sweet sweet PlayStation 4 theme there you go with the music and and I love how they call it air quotes dynamic because there's like dust in front of the characters that kind of <laughs> wafts around I'm like woo Ooh, that's some dyna- dynamicness. Dyna- I don't know. I got nothing. The words. The words <laughs> escape me. <laughs> what else have you been playing? So they've been doing a thing on Heroes of the Storm where it links up with your Overwatch account. And you can get like skins and sprays and stuff on your Overwatch account. Last time they did this, I didn't really care because it was just a Genji skin and I don't play Genji. But then they put a Diva skin in and I'm like, oh crud. My daughter's going to want the Diva skin. So... I made her a Battle.net account, and I've been playing Heroes of the Storm with her because she's literally never played with a mouse and keyboard. So I was doing that, and then I'm like, well, fine, I'll just do it for myself, too. So I've been playing a lot of Heroes of the Storm just to crank out the five games that's required a week to, you know, get these skins and whatnot. And it's going to reset tomorrow, so if I'm a real good boy and I edit a segment of this podcast tomorrow morning, I can play a game that I only kind of like for probably about four hours tomorrow night just to make my daughter happy because that's why I'm a good daddy. Although it's hilarious. So last week, I only played four of her five games that she needed, and she played the fifth one because my my buddy, my writing partner, actually, uh, he said that he would, you know, basically lose a game because he had a five-year-old on his team, and he would just chat with her. And uh, she got kicked from the game like five times because she didn't understand the concept of right-clicking on enemies to make herself auto-fire to, like, do (laughs) stuff. So she'd, like, run in. It's like, I'm going to come help you guys, and then her character would just sort of stand there. And she was playing Nova, who has the ability to create like a holographic clone of herself or something. Yeah. So then the clone would just pop up and stand there because she wouldn't click on anything, and and then they would start losing fights. And so because she's heard her daddy smack talk on on so many games because I'm such a good parent, she goes, "What's up with this team? They're all stupid." My buddy had to point out, it's like, um, well, I'm on your team and our other friend who's talking with us right now is also on the team. So you you just kind of... And she's like, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about these other people. And yeah, she was just smack talking. I'm like, oh, I need to watch my smack talk in front of my daughter because she's emulating it and she does not know the correct context for trash talking because safe to say... She was probably the bad person on that team, getting kicked three times for not <laughs>
1: For me, it's been in my continued obsession with Battlefield 1. Um, I have recently gotten a little bit more into Battlefront, with the announcement of Battlefront 2, several of my buddies decided to finally get back into Battlefront, so we've been playing a ton of that, and that continues to be fun, but inherently flawed. I have very high hopes for the the second game. In fact, one of my high hopes is that it's the first game coming from EA that's going to be written by the former writer from Naughty Dog, who did the um, the Uncharted games, mm-hmm. Amy, I think, Henneman, or Hennerman, or I think is her name. She's an amazing writer. She really gave... Those Uncharted games, such great depth, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what she does in the Star Wars universe. So it's really, really genuinely exciting.
0: You know what's sad? I bought the PlayStation 4 with the three-pack of all the original games, you know, in high-res or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't played them. Oh, I haven't touched them. That's sad. Overwatch came out, and there you go. The funny part was, I remember when I first booted them up, like I was playing it, and my wife was like, wow, these graphics are really great. I'm like, oh, honey, honey. These are PS3 graphics that are just have larger (laughs) textures. Just you wait. Just you wait. And then we were. I was playing Overwatch the first time. She was like, "Oh, yeah. Oh, those are some real good graphics." I'm like, "There you go." I also started playing Grand
1: Theft Auto V again. I played it when (laughs) it first came out on the Xbox 360, but recently it went on ridiculously cheap sale on the Xbox Live Store. So uh, I picked it up and I've been playing through it, and I've forgotten just how absolutely clever. The wit of that script is—I mean, it's just vicious.
0: Yeah, that's on my list. How it
1: parodies—that's
0: uh, on my list if I see it for cheap. But I'm—I'm I'm working through my, my my. Oh, it's well worth it. It's my my, well my worth shame it. wall, my my wall of shame. You'll you'll really like the story. You'll really really like it. It's a very very well written
1: parody. But yeah, that's about it for uh, video games. How about uh, from a book perspective? I see your reading list is getting a little chunky,
0: dude. Every, it's raining stuff. Yeah, I know. Me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. It's bad. Okay, so let, let's let's knock this off. Uh, You got me Empire of Imagination. Yep. Tales from the Loop, which we're talking about now. Blue Rose came out, which I I still have basically flipped through and haven't had a chance to read. Uh, The Changeling 20th Anniversary PDF got released to the backers uh, just a couple days ago, so that's in my queue. Cthulhu Confidential arrived in print, which was good because I was having a really hard time reading it because the I I probably should have gone and downloaded the the revised print, but the very, very first print they sent me, just occasionally, letters would be missing out of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the text like in random words and places yeah it was very hard to read because of that and then you know but anyway so now i got this book i probably should read because i bought it tales from the Awning portal still haven't i flipped through that too a pretty pretty thorough flip through but still i haven't haven't read that uh seventh sea pirate nations got released on pdf seventh sea uh, nations of Thea volume one got released the book of the righteous by green ronin got released on pdf uh, you got me, or we got, or what actually, yeah, you went and picked up for me, uh, Shadow War Armageddon, yep. which I flipped through and I haven't had a chance to read. I haven't had a chance to read it either. On top of that, it looks like the art book for Almonkhet is going to be out in July, and my Reaper Bones miniatures, which are, I'm getting a gigantic dragon that I probably should assemble and paint, that should be coming in in the next month as well. So, yes, I've just got, and, and I'm sure I'm missing books, Midgard's in there, a couple other things are too, so... Yeah. My, my reading list has been absolutely over the top recently too. Um,
1: I, too, read through Tales from the Loop in preparation for our deep dive. I've also been reading through a book on Gary Gygax, which I know you're tackling as well. And why, you may ask, dear listener? Well, that's because we're actually going to have an opportunity to interview the author of the book,
0: Michael Whitwer, on the next episode. That is so, the aforementioned Empire of Imagination. Yes. Yes, yes absolutely.
1: I, too, have paged through but not really given any time to the, the Shadow War Armageddon book. Which looks fantastic. I actually was at the Warhammer store over in Round Rock today. Shout out to Scott. What's up? What's up, um, Scott? Um, they were playing Shadow War Armageddon, and I have to tell you, like, just the, everything about that rule set just looks awesome. It's just so trimmed down. I love that it, that it's it's skirmish level. It plays extremely fast and extremely fun. I cannot wait to get my my guys finished up and and on the table.
0: Well, and and yeah, that part of the game is making a story. So it's yeah. just this dumb fluffy game, which. Don't get me wrong. I'm not mean, dumb, and like it's a bad way. I mean, dumb that it's just it's one of those sort of no brainery games where you just play it and you're having fun and it's not competitive as much, you know?
1: No, it's it's good stuff. I'm really, really excited about that rule set. I cannot wait to dig into it. Additionally, I finished reading about my Karadron overlords, and so I also consumed the base rules for for Age of Sigmar and the General's Handbook for Age of Sigmar.
0: So I cannot wait to have an opportunity to play that. Once again, the six pages of rules for Age of Sigmar. Don't count. Ah, that, that's but like, all say, of the war scrolls and all of the fluff for the Caradron overlords certainly do. That 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 does. But just saying, the general's handbook I'll give you, but not not the pamphlet. That's like saying, I read this totally awesome book in the waiting room at the doctor's office today. I also read the last two episodes of
1: White Dwarf, because there's a bunch of stuff on the character on Overloads in there. There you go. So, it's been a, a very busy couple of weeks from a reading perspective, certainly.
0: Yeah, I'm just getting tons of role-playing games. And role-playing games are not one of those things you can kind of, you, you have to commit to it. <laughs> you have to really, like, read them.
1: Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've got quite a backlog that I need to get through as well in terms of role-playing games, and I just got noticed that two or three more Kickstarters are going to be shipping in the next next... next month or two so i better get on my back yeah
0: on top of that uh, as we go through the year uh you know the yellow king rpg the the magic shoe ours magica gumshoe crossover and i know there was a third one i was looking at this year and i can't remember it now oh oh oh, trinity trinity from white wolf yeah i've got
1: threadbare coming i've got um a couple different things coming it's it's gonna be a busy busy year for rpgs yeah yeah
0: Starfinder.
1: If, yeah, I'm looking forward to Starfinder. Yeah. I hate to say it. As, as much as I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the Pathfinder system, I'm I'm very hopeful because at least I know the system that I'll, I'll be able to step into Starfinder games pretty easily. And I also like that that is going to give us an excuse to whip out any sci-fi minis that we might have lying around and use them in, in games. And that's always fun. Let's go ahead and transition. Uh, all this Games Workshop that I've been reading has actually also translated into a lot of modeling as well. I actually have three different Games Workshop projects. I'm processing through and painting a little bit at a time. So let's start with the one that you and I are both working on. Let's give everybody an update on our Blood Bowl guys.
0: Yeah, we had a painting party, and then we forgot to tweet out a picture. Or even take one.
1: <laughs> we were kind of tired that night. Yeah, we were kind of tired that night.
0: I, I ran out of steam when I'm like, I am like I was deciding if I wanted to paint my, my orcs green or not, because you know part of me was like, should I follow the stereotype, or should I make them like Lord of the Rings, the, the movie colors? And then I finally was like, yeah, I'll just paint them green, because they'll look better like that. And then I was like, oh, I didn't bring any of my green paints. And, that, and then the wind was out of my sails. I'm like, oh. I am spent tonight.
1: I could tell that I got tired too because I started looking over my guys and I realized that half the leather straps I forgot to paint.
0: (laughs) That's a pretty good
1: sign that I'm getting exhausted. So yes, we continue to paint up our Blood Bowl figures. But actually, this reminds me of something I forgot to mention earlier. I've been playing a ton of Blood Bowl on the Xbox too. And it's really interesting because the rules are the the board game rules Mm -hmm. except for one key difference uh, in regards to movement after you've been knocked down. In the board game, you get... I believe, and, and if I'm misquoting here, please somebody correct me, I believe that after you stand up, you get half movement for that round, mm-hmm. but in the board game, you get to stand up and that's your action and that character is then done being interacted with. Hmm. So there's a difference between the board game and the video game, and I'm not sure why that is, but it, it seems like a pretty drastic
0: change from the It might just be, rules. you know, the different environment. It might play better that way on the... On the- Console than yeah not
1: so but but aside from that one rule change all the rules are straight from the board game hmm. and it's been kind of nice because it's got let me really kind of wrap my head around especially the the uh, concept of turnovers and and why dice are thrown etc so it's it's nice to be able to take the rules that I read and translate them into action
0: is it on the PS4 because I know like the the uh, I don't know the more well, I, I know the, the, the more game is on it so I got it on the
1: Xbox but I I, I would imagine most of those things are, are multi platform I'll have to go see if it's there now my other two projects that I've got going on I've, I've I've begun painting my Caradron Overlord's frigate and I've finished up one of the stripes and I've now um, done a very base coat of white on the bottom of the ship to uh, start painting red. Because you were the one that said, "Hey, <laughs> oh, prim-
0: red paint on black primer yeah is- you, you
1: prime black, so so paint white before painting red—and that makes a lot of sense." Yeah. And then finally, I've got my Tau uh, Pathfinder team uh, half painted up. I'm, I'm actually getting pretty close to getting done with them. I just have a, I, I have all my base layers done. I just need to go in and do some little work and put on a wash, and they, they should be ready to go for our Armageddon games.
0: Cool. I, I have made a Tyranid. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So with that modeling out of the way, uh, how about some board games? You and I have actually had a chance to play some things
0: together. I know. Since we were reading an RPG this week, we just decided to play random stuff. So we uh, we played Pandemic.
1: Yeah, which uh, was surprisingly friendly. It,
0: it was it was that beginner's luck. We had that new guy.
1: A coworker of mine came over. He'd never played any kind of modern board games before, so we took him through Lords of Waterdeep and we took him through Pandemic. And the, uh, the, the Pandemic beginners' luck streak continues.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was it was like wow, this was easy. And that was the funny part because like we're all these old hats at it, and we played it like the second time. Yeah, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and it just destroyed us. And, and I was thinking was like, are we are we beyond easy? mode now (laughs) and the game's like nope I've seen games go smoother but that game went surprisingly smooth no it was uh... like we cured a disease on like turn two or three it was real fast it went
1: really well but, you know, that being said, I, I fully expect Pandemic to completely demolish me the next time I play it. it. I'm way overdue for a for a beating. And then we played some Lords of Waterdeep, which was really fun as well. I'd, I'd forgotten just how much fun that game is. And that that game's interesting to me because at the end of the day, it doesn't do anything new. No. It's just a collection of really good ideas. Yeah. But they're, they're put together in such a fashion that the sum is more than its parts.
0: Yeah, yeah. There was a couple guys at WotC. They just started making a board game on their lunch breaks and... You know, it was a little passion project, and it kind of shows. They just took a bunch of ideas that they liked and just jammed them all together, and it made a pretty decent board game out of it. And then they put all that water deep fluff in it. So I, 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 I shared with you guys the uh, the fest halls. <laughs> <laughs> so. For those of you who don't know, and I guess we'll earn our, our Freebooters explicit tag right here, I guess technically. Way, way, way back in the day when they wanted a map of Waterdeep out of Ed Greenwood, the crazy Canadian who invented the Forgotten Realms, he sent them a packet of paper that apparently landed on the desk with a loud thud. And they opened it up and they thought it was just going to be more of his like reams and reams and reams of paper and weird notes. But no, it was a map. It was a gigantic map. And it was on 8x11 sheets of paper. And when they put it together in the parking lot, the damn map took up 20 feet by 30 feet as the story goes. The map was really well laid out because he had every every street, everything. It was keyed in a really good way. The problem was there were tons of brothels in Waterdeep. Tons <laughs> of brothels. And they were making D&D second edition at the time. You know, comics code and, you know, D&D is in coots with the devil and all that was still kind of a thing back then. So they didn't really want to have brothels on a map because it might raise questions, you know, from angry parents. It's like, why are there so many brothels in my kid's game? The problem was they had this really good numbered map and they're like, if we remove all the brothels, it's going to screw up the number key. And this was like before they had, you know, computers that could just do that and word searches and all that. So their their bright idea was, okay, well, what if we just replace the word brothel? Because I guess, you know, replacing uh, words in in Microsoft Word existed at the time. What should we replace the word brothel with? And the word they came up with was Fest Hall. So, yes, (laughs) gentle listener, if you ever see a Fest Hall in any old D&D map, now you know what they really meant. And once I found that out, I was rereading some of my Realms stuff, because I was running a Forgotten Realms game at the time, and I was like, oh my god, Shadowdale had a Fest Hall. Every place has a Fest Hall. There's tons of Fest Halls. (laughs) Beyond those board games,
1: did you have a chance to play anything else?
0: Yeah, I continued the playtesting. Oh, good time. Yeah, and yeah, we. Going well? Yeah, we delayed it a week because uh, the way the old schedule was set up, one of one of the problems was one of the guys who was in the game was going to be at a, a local uh, gaming convention and thus would be unavailable. Yeah, and the other one was it would be on the Friday of the Mondays that we record podcasts. So typically, I spend Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday editing the podcast, and then we'd have to play on Friday, which means I'd have to come up with an adventure probably Thursday night, Friday, and not really have a lot of time to think about it because you know I'm I'm deep in editing mode. I'm like, you know what? If we push this back a week, it'll be on the off week, and then it'll give me more time to Mm -hmm. do my my other hobbies and, and then also think about the game and not just think about editing all the time so yeah, it worked out so, yeah, yeah, we played another game of it, and it went well, and it was our first real game. We made characters, and then now we, we played a game, and, you know, we identified a few more. Every time I play that, you know, we identify a few things that need tweaking, and then, again, awesome. don't want to talk too much about it, because I read that thing and cracked. I, I don't want to pretend <laughs> that I'm, I'm actually doing something.
1: Well, um, I also had a couple of games uh, make it to the table uh, beyond what you and I played. Uh, I got to play a little bit more Tavaroa with the kids, which is the, uh, surfing, <laughs> the surfing board surfing game. game. Uh, you know what? It's an awesome game. It's super fun. I can't call it deep.
0: Growing I was up, trying to explain that game to my wife the other day after I came back from podcasting, and I don't know how I got the Surfin' Bird from it, but I did. <laughs> and I, no, this was the day after. Yeah, it was the day after because my boys weren't awake, and so I was. I, I had Surfin' Bird stuck in my head, and so I watched it because I'm like, I need to purchase from my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just watch Surfin' Bird. And so we get to the part of the surfing bird where it's like, Surfing Bird. So I started doing the whole thing that Peter Griffin does in that episode where I'm like oh, I, 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 and like and made both of my boys just start wailing. It's like
1: Daddy's dying! <laughs> and, uh
0: oh that was good times so anyway sorry no it's all right. going right back around surfing bird the board game Go. Yeah, the, the, the game itself is awesome it's
1: just it's really well put together it, it's very sound it's super easy to pick up it's a really well put together game i'm I'm really i'm excited because i'm getting the expansion uh for xia soon which is legends of the drift system which is his 4x game it was actually i believe his first kickstarter project hmm. the expansion looks awesome so i'm Totally psyched. Uh,
0: an expansion for Tavarua? No, an expansion
1: okay, for... Okay, I was going to say, like,
0: expansion for making Tavarua into a 4X game? That's that's an no, interesting no, no, twist no, on like the a, whole concept. Zaya, Zaya Legends of the First Oh, History. okay. See, I was confused. I missed that part. And then... Making Tavarua into a 4X game. <laughs> Dude, you got to surf the waves. It's like Point Break. <laughs> you got to go hit the right beaches.
1: Spirit of Rebellion came out recently for Star Wars Destiny, which is the new bo- set of booster packs. So I picked up a couple of those and started trying to integrate them into my decks. Unfortunately, Fantasy Flight just does not seem to be able to nail down their production for this game. Because once again, unfortunately, everything is really difficult to find again. There's just very limited supplies. It, not enough of it came out. In fact, Miniature Market, who's a, a you know one of the major retailers, went as far as to send an email out to everybody that pre-ordered it, letting you know whether or not you were going to get your pre-order. I was very lucky I did get mine. I, I got mine in early enough. And basically said in the email that they will not be accepting pre-orders for this property anymore. And that's a pretty big problem because they cannot guarantee any stock. Yeah, here's hoping that Fantasy Flight can figure out their production issues. It's the
0: growing pains, man. Making collectible card games rough. Yeah, I've seen so many people mess it up. Like Wizards makes it look easy, but it's not. <laughs> no,
1: well, and and, and the, the downside is here that the, now these first two waves are going to be very difficult to find, and that means
0: that it's going to artificially inflate the value of a lot of that. Because are they going to have like rotations like Magic? Are things going to go out of out of play eventually? Or?
1: I don't know. They haven't talked about anything going out of play, but certainly everything is very very limited in its run. They basically have come out and said that they're only doing like two or three ro- print runs of every expansion set which is rough i mean that's just not enough to go around not the way this game has taken off
0: you know i i I noticed that in general fantasy flight does that especially with star wars because i I think they don't want to be left with stuff in the warehouse when if and when the license expires yeah i've seen that in just about every game because i remember x-wing is notoriously hard to get so
1: no i mean they they do a really nice job of continuingly uh printing out new stuff but they do not carry back stock they don't at all. And they do it with all of their stuff. It's not just X-Wing. And they let you know on the website when they're reprinting something. And they're pretty good about it. Once the demand is there, they do reprint.
0: Ryan Dancy said that was one of the contributing factors to TSR falling apart, was just this warehouse full of old, weird yeah. stuff. So yeah. I, I get that's, I get the notion Yeah, anybody's selling to retail.
1: You just... It, Having a warehouse full of stuff is expensive. Yeah. Yeah, and in addition to Star Wars Destiny, I also got two brand new board games that have been translated to portable, whether mm-hmm. it be iPad or uh, Android or any of those. Mm-hmm. I got The Game, and uh, The Game is a card game where you have a deck of cards from 2 to 99, and you have two piles that start at 1, and you can build up, and two piles that start at 100, and you build down. You basically have a, a hand of X Ye- number of cards. Yeah, I remember
0: you talking about this. Yeah,
1: on the old show. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have a hand of x number of cards, uh, depending on your difficulty level, and then you have to play a certain number of cards. And so you're forced into these awkward situations where the numbers might not be close to each other, but you have to play at least two cards on easy to be able to draw two and get back up to your hand size. And so you try and manage all four decks until you can get all one or you know basically all ninety eight cards down. And it is tough, and it's such a basic premise, but it is so clever and so addictive. It's a great game, and the translation on iOS is perfect. It's really well done.
0: By the way, listeners, you just lost the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to
1: put a public service announcement at the beginning of every episode, just apologizing. <laughs> For what? You may ask. Everything. Everything. All of it. I'm just, We're just sorry. And then the other one is Tokaido. And the Tokaido translation, in my opinion, has fired the board game.
0: Whoa, that's a bold statement.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's great. So it is the board game. There is no difference in gameplay. But what it does is it brings just so much more flavor to everything because it's animated and, and fun to look at. And it just, you know, there's zero setup time. You don't have to shuffle anything. It's just instantly dive into your next game. It supports any player count. It's just, it it's fantastic. It's the quintessential translation of a board game into digital format. And it's, it's must have. And that's what we've had off the shelf. We'd love, of course, to hear what you've had off the shelf. So join all of our conversations on all of our digital outlets.
0: And next up, the wisdom of crowds.
1: After a short message from our sponsors. And now a quick word from our sponsors, Geek Nation Tours. And man, do they have an amazing tour coming up. This one all about... Essen, a tour through germany now of course it's all going to culminate in a fantastic couple of days at the essen game show which of course is legendary in and of itself but before then you get almost 10 days worth of activity all throughout germany you get to go to munich and in munich you're going to get a chance to play dominion and be joined by rodney smith from the watch it played youtube channel And mind you, the entire time you're in Munich, you're going to be enjoying Oktoberfest, which is legendary in and of itself. You're going to get to see castles that inspired games like Castles of Mad King Ludwig. You're going to get to see all the areas that inspired places like Settlers of Catan. And you're going to get an opportunity to go through many, many German cities, learning all about both the country and all the games that it inspired. And of course, it all culminates with a bunch of days at the Essen Game Show, which is the be all end all of all. European gaming. So, take a look at geeknationtours.com for
0: all the information on the Essen Tour. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to
1: interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back. It is now time, of course, for our Wisdom of Crowds segment, our bi-weekly tabletop news and Kickstarter segment. Robert, let's go ahead and get started with the news. Let's talk about Green Ronin and their announcements. Lots of new announcements.
0: The big one was they announced both the Modern Age role-playing game, which I guess is a riff-off of Fantasy Age. The first supplement for it is going to be based on Greg Ruka's comic Lazarus, which I know next to nothing about. And I, I was reading the Wikipedia article. It sounds very strange. It's like the world is devolved into sort of, like, 16 countries and every country has a champion because they don't fight wars anymore. They just send their champions at each other cuz it's like feudal system or something. Hmm. But there's guns cuz it's the future. Actually, when I when I had the shop, my neighbor runs an awesome little candy store. She was really into that comic. That was that was what she would come by every week from us. So, I'm really excited with uh, for Modern Age cuz I've I've got some sort of strange fascination with fantasy age and and a modern game is something I'm typically a little bit more likely to play and try. So, sounds like fun. It's coming out uh, soon. <laughs> 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 they haven't really said. My guess is they're aiming for Gen Con, like everything, but we'll see if it actually oh, hits. Oh, I think that's a pretty safe bet. And speaking of which, they've announced their entire uh, lineup for the remainder of 2017. So there's some cool stuff in there. Monsters of Freeport for Pathfinder. Return to Freeport Adventure, which was currently only available on PDF, but now in June of this year it'll be in print as well. The 5th edition Book of the Righteous, which I mentioned earlier in the episode, I'm, yeah, I got in on that Kickstarter. They're going to start shipping it out this month. It'll be in retail pretty soon after that, so that's coming out. Freedom City, 3rd edition, which we mentioned last time with the the Sentinels of Earth Prime. I'm, I I may have to pick that up. I, I love me some Freedom City. I bought every other version of that book. I might as well have the complete set. Titan's Grave, the World of Volcana, the follow-up to the Titan's Grave adventure is going to come out, so this will be, you know, the setting which will be quite fun. And then the big Gen Con release is Critical Role the Tal'Dorei uh, campaign setting, which is the campaign setting that Matthew Mercer uses on his Twitch show. So mm-hmm. that'll be that, that should be everything through the end of the year, but they're a small companies. Sometimes they can just sneak stuff in there and go, "Eh, whatever. <laughs> We're small, we can do what we want." So, Jonathan, dead a winner getting an expansion. Is this the first expansion?
1: No, this is not the first expansion. So first we had Dead of Winter. Then we had Dead of Winter, The Long Night, which was a standalone expansion. It basically could be the entire board game, or it could be used as an expansion for Dead of Winter. Or coupled together, I guess would be the better way to put it.
0: Yeah, you could flip around the parts and use the different characters.
1: And now we're getting Warring Colonies, which is a more true expansion in that it just clips into one of the existing games. So there's an interesting new variant. It takes the player count all the way up
0: to 11. No wait, joke. wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> yes, no joke wait, intended. The, the player count goes to 11. That's one more than 10. It's one
1: more than 10. It comes with a bunch of new survivors, a bunch of new Crossroads cards, which are, of course, the, one of the big variations that occur during the game. A bunch of new items, uh, lots of crisis cards. So it basically just expands upon everything. And looking at the items that they have on the uh, webpage about it, it just looks like more of what you love about Dead of Winter.
0: But, but that's not the best part. That's not the best part. The best part is its PVP. It's two separate colonies, yes, controlled by the players, hence the warring colonies. That have to fight for resources in the same town, the same zombie infested town. And the 11th player, the player that goes to 11, is playing like some sort of like Batman style like vigilante yeah, he's who's the, messing he's, with everybody. He's called the Lone Wolf. And, yeah, he, he's roaming around, like, trying to keep the peace. I don't know what the, the deal is. But basically, for that well, player that just wants so to mess with everybody, the, that's their the, role. The
1: Lone Wolf has their own secret goals that they're trying to achieve. A lot of that is working both together and against each of the colonies. It's interesting. I feel like they've been taking a page pretty heavily from the uh, latest seasons of uh, Walking La- Dead. Yeah, Because yeah. There, there's a lot of that kind of notion in these new seasons.
0: Well, one of the things about Dead of Winter was there was a lot of zombie-themed board games that came out all, all around the same time, like Zombicide... Yep. And there was a walking dead board game and there was this and it was always kind of the question of like why should i be playing this game there's five different variations of it and now there's like a reason this is not a mode i've seen in any other uh no it's clever it's clever yeah yeah, it's clever
1: and outside of the norm and i think it's really going to shake up the dead of winter concept nicely
0: and i like the notion of of pvp because you know know, being on a team and, and playing and it's so hard to find board games for more than four people (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. So, like, yeah, playing with Eleven just sounds epic. You play over a big table and, like, look at them across the across the table and just glare. It's going to be fun.
1: Yeah, no, it'll be good stuff. Um, I think it's a really clever way of expanding that game. I, and I think that the property, that particular property, really lends itself well to that style of play.
0: So, gentle listener, let me tell you a story. Sit down. We'll have a tale by the campfire. So I was sitting at home one day. And all of a sudden, in text, I got these urgent urgent text from Jonathan, I imagine if he was in the room, he'd be jumping up and down and, like, with a bullhorn right in my face screaming at me that we had to cover this. You oh, we didn't s- just have to cover it. You were so excited. I still am! <laughs> like, I'm looking at the picture of the box, and I'm just getting all worked up. So, Jonathan, tell us all about Star Wars Rebellion Rise of the Empire. Oh my god, that's an expansion for... <laughs> Oh,
1: it's just everything that's so good. It's uh, it's basically they are taking Rogue One and expanding Star Wars Rebellion to include it. We get a lot of new stuff in this pack. I mean, where do I even begin? You get new heroes, you get new villains, you get new um, expansion cards, new missions, and you do get new minis. There's the Interdictor Cruiser which is the Star Destroyer that has the big gravity wells on it to prevent people from escaping into hyperspace. There's new um, land units that are based on the tank. The U-Wings are there. You get um, uh, Nebulan B frigates, which, I, as I recall, were not in the original game. You get the Tide Defender, which definitely wasn't in the original game because that was introduced in Rogue One. And, yeah, you just get a bunch of new stuff, and it's all based around Rebellion, which is super awesome.
0: So, Jonathan, anything about Real Soon? Blizzard soon, or Steam soon on this guy? Well, it's Fantasy Flight.
1: Uh, (laughs) Fantasy Flight is very nebulous about the release dates, but that being said, when they start publishing stuff, that's a pretty good indicator that it is right around the corner. They are saying that it'll be by the end of third quarter 2017.
0: Okay, so Gen Con.
1: So Gen Con,
0: which makes (laughs) perfect sense. Gen Con. We're going to release it on the third quarter. Oh, you just mean Gen Con. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it looks awesome. I mean, I am a huge fan of Star Wars Rebellion, which, unfortunately, I don't think I can play with you. No. You will get so angry. Like, the, the game will basically make your side flare out, flare out completely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it won't be pretty. This is not the kind of game that
0: you play. Well, also, it's because it'll be my first time, and it's definitely not your first time. So... You'll no, be- but that yeah. said that... Y- y- <sighs> like, you beat no, this- every... Board game?
1: No, that's whatever. not true.
0: That's, that's not true. true. That's not I don't true. I I can't recall a game that we've played. We all won pandemic. That doesn't count. Yes, it that's does. a co-op game. We won. Yeah, yeah, we won. You yeah. still won. <laughs> did yes or no? Did you win uh, Lords of Water Do I came from behind. Uh-huh. I was in last place the four the first what, five rounds?
1: Uh-huh. Okay. And then and then I had everything nicely stacked and in place. And then when we got access to our third guy. All of my plans came to fruition. I'm just asking. Were you impressed, though? Yeah. From I was impressed that you and your
0: buddies ganged up on me and gave me all the mandatory quests because you 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 got to work with the other three guys. So let's just pick on the new guy. I get how it goes. I'm just saying, man. You you've won every time we play versus each other. You win. No,
1: that's not true. You've beat me. I can't remember for the life of me. I can't remember
0: what game. Hold on. You won Mission Red Planet. You won Arcadia Quest. You won
1: Lords of Waterdeep. The time you you taught it to me.
0: The time I taught it to you when I knew what I was doing and you didn't. Yes. So so you came to be the student and now the, you're the master. Now
1: the apprentice becomes the master. Just saying, dude. I'm just
0: saying, you win everything. Well, look, at the end of the day, if you want to play it anytime. Oh, it's I know the game I beat. I know the game I beat. You. Game. I know the
1: game I beat you. Camel well, up. I won. Yeah, the there you go. See? Okay. You've beaten me. All right.
0: I, I knew there was something. Else. I stand corrected.
1: So the expansion will be $39.95, which I think is a really fair price considering what they're putting in there. A lot of new minis, a lot of new gameplay, and I'm really excited. This game has been screaming for more content, and it's nice to see that Fantasy Flight's finally giving it its due. Next up on the list is something else I threw out there, and that's because this is one of my most favorite movies of all time, The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31.
0: So let me set the stage for you. Jonathan has given up coffee. Which is not a good place so to So he's be. a little... Irritable today. I get this text and it has a link to this in it. And Jonathan pretty much declares his willingness to kill my firstborn if we do not talk about this game. And I rather like my daughter. So, Jonathan, please continue. <laughs> right so let's talk
1: about the thing first of all it's one of my most favorite movies of all time it's john carpenter's arguably greatest movie and mind you this is the man that gave us big trouble in little china so i'm just throwing that out there looking at this it looks fabulous there's a map of the outpost there's the is this the american or the norwegian one this is the american one okay cool so it's the it's the movie yeah it's the movie outpost 31 and so you get all the different rooms from the outpost you get the helipad as an escape vector and stuff like that there's actually gonna be two editions of the game released one's gonna be uh through mondo tees
0: yeah this is the part that got me
1: yes and there will only be 1,982 of them also known as the year uh that the film was released and And for
0: those of you who don't know Mondo Tees is a company it's a local Austin company yes it is and I don't know if they're owned by or affiliated with the draft house but they used to have storefronts in the draft house but now they've got their own gallery and what their thing is is they make really really kind of awesome semi-minimalist uh like movie posters and shirts and stuff and they just sell them and it's all just nostalgia and and you know they're there's a, there's a lot of 2001 shirts and man do I want 2001 shirts but yeah 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 it's good times like M- mondates makes really good quality you know prints and art stuff they're going to redo all of the art for this game in the the special edition and i am really looking forward to that and the special edition comes with a bonus enamel pin for those of you who like your pins and it's gonna come with an art print, I'm assuming, of whatever the special art is gonna be. And it's gonna come with a couple extra miniatures, which <laughs> Robert likes miniatures. Yes. So I I, I, really, I will be trying to get the Yeah, I wonder if you can roll edition. into dude, I wonder if it's like a good excuse to roll into their gallery and go and go just check out the gallery, and then it's like give me give me my board game. Name drop. Name drop, what what? So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm Jonathan from Forgot My Dice, I'm here for my board game. I'm kind of a big deal on the internet. There must be fifteen people that listen to us every week. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I know that's not true because we had to roll d30 for our contest. Yeah, that's true. Whoa, that's true. but some of them were doubled up. So, well, um, the game itself. So at least fifteen people listened <laughs> to us.
1: Well, the game itself sounds awesome. It is a um, hidden trader game, which is. Sounds perfect, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's probably going to borrow pretty heavily from some of the best hidden trader games if, if they're doing it the smart way, right? You, so you'll, you'll look at your Battlestar Galacticas, etc. You move around the station, and while you're moving around the station, you are trying to collect items to help you survive, etc. It just looks just like a board game version of the thing in all the right ways. I'm really stoked. So it's a collaboration between Project Raygun and Mondo. Project Raygun is a design division of USA Oply and it was launched that's right at we the talked about that, that it we was, talked
0: yeah. about that's why it sounds so familiar yeah 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 so this is one of the first things they're coming out with nice yeah, yeah. nice uh, it is the first thing they're coming out with i believe i was a little hesitant when we covered that i didn't know if it would work i don't even know if i left it in the show <laughs> come <laughs> to think of it maybe we cut that segment but man yeah it's good stuff teaming up with mondo tees that was that was just a smart move let's all right see. well let's uh, continue on down the highway take the off ramp over into kickstarter news a billboard's up ahead, Jonathan. And there's some news bites. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first off, in the last episode, we talked about Torg Eternity, and we said it would be out by the end of April. Uh, we lied, like, the next day. <laughs> they they're they, uh, they, they like, nope, just kidding. They're going to push it to the end of May because they want to work on the stretch goals a little bit more and have more awesome stretch goals. So, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for better stuff. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. So... I guess at the end of the month, remember all that stuff that we said about Torg Eternity in Episode 17? That only more so. Second news bite. Uh, Set your calendars. Zombicide the Green Horde launches May 30th. Probably right at the same time for this Torg Eternity, actually. So, yes, get your Zombicide with Orcs going. May 30th, set your watch. It's a really awkward time for our podcast, so I don't know if we'll end up covering it next episode or Episode 19... We'll, well we'll see how the timing it'll it'll out. it'll happen we're, we're gonna cover it one way or another we're gonna cover it uh, one way or the mostly other because
1: i'm a huge zombicide fan right, and right i think black plague was the best thing to happen to so zombicide we're either
0: gonna either. cover it next episode and no next to nothing or we're gonna cover it the episode after <laughs> and go like
1: <laughs> rush it's almost done by the time you hear this let's get into our full games that we're gonna take a look at and the first one is trade wars homeworld the exterra edition first of all The art in this game is classic sci-fi spaceships. I mean, this is Ralph McQuarrie. This is all the great stuff that we saw in the 70s and 80s. I mean, just the art is fantastic in this game.
0: Secondly, you get plastic cubes in five colors. Take that, King of Tokyo.
1: (laughs) Yes, uh, the game is primarily a a deck builder. And one of the neat things about the, the game is that you actually get to build your ship from uh, different card types and so that gives you access to uh, a variety of different ship designs that you can play as and that interacts with your deck as you play it. It's reasonably priced too. $29 gets you the, the Trade World's Homeworld uh, copy or $39 gets you a premium variant and the premium variant gets you faction dice and planetary expansion and the plastic
0: cubes? Does and it give you the plastic cubes? Uh, yes, both give you the plastic cubes. They should colors. have held out for the more expensive one for the plastic cubes because that, that's what sells it right there.
1: The, the, premium dice get, or the premium version gets you these premium faction dice, which are, are tied to the different factions, and a, a planetary expansion that has just a bunch more cards. 140 additional cards, including 60 mission cards, 80 colony cards, and even more custom planetary dice. That's Trade Wars Homeworld, the Exterra edition. That is the, the core deck-building game, plus the option, should you decide to uh, purchase it, of the expansion. All right, well, moving on.
0: Next up on our list is what, Robert? Okay, so... Wow, there's a lot of storytelling going on in this episode. We're like a role-playing podcast. All right, so let's hop in the DeLorean and travel back to the past of 2007. Margaret Weiss of Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman fame of the the Dragonlance novels and fantasy awesomeness in general. Uh, He decided to start up his own rpg company and so the first thing he got was the serenity universe and so he made the serenity rpg and that i remember that one was really good and from that they did battlestar galactica the rpg the the you know the new the new version with you know the people who could be toasters which also was quite good demon hunters supernatural and then they came up with the cortex plus system and they did smallville leverage which i also have leverage and that one's quite good and Marvel superheroes, which I should have gotten, but their license was so short, it was really hard to get your hands on it before yeah. they had to burn them all in a fire. Oh, Yeah. Last year, I think, Margaret Weiss decided to, you know, get out of this whole publishing business. Cam Banks licensed out the system, and Cam is the guy who's in charge of a lot of the stuff. And so what they're doing on Kickstarter right now is they're doing the Cortex Prime, you know, revised edition where you get a generic rule set to do whatever you want with The basic system is you roll dice between a D2, presumably, and all the way up to a D12. And it's based off of skills and stats. You build a dice pool out of all your dice, and then you roll all the guys. And then you take the two best rolls, and you add them together, and you try to beat a difficulty number. Simple enough. However, if you roll any ones during your roll, you may not fail. You get, like, an opportunity to fail forward, but bad things can happen to you. And the GM, or yourself, if you want to, you know, test your luck... You can actually add D4s into your dice pool because, you know, they have a 25% chance of rolling a 1. And, you know, that that's basically a penalty. <laughs> it's like having <laughs> to roll this D4 because, you know, you increase your odds of rolling 1 and you don't really get anything for it because if your highest roll is a 4, you've got problems anyway. The leverage game was really, really good. Like, it was, it was so, so good. It's like, it, it, that's high on my list of games that I have not run and I, I am really regretting it. Just check it out. It's a, it's a generic system. Uh, right now they're clipping through stretch goals that sort of add other genres into the game, you know, like pre-built, you know, little mini settings and whatnot. And, yeah, no, it looks really cool. And everybody's backing this because one of the ways that we cheat to, to find Kickstarters is I follow a lot of, like, industry people on Kickstarter. <laughs> and a ton of industry yeah. people have covered this. Yeah, like, that screenshot got, you sent me was nuts. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really surprising how many people have backed this. So, you know.
1: You really do have to pay attention when the likes of John Wick back a project.
0: Because that's the thing. I, I, I'm, I'm not a very smart person when it comes to these Kickstarter things. I just stand on the shoulders of geniuses. And, and right now you're standing on the shoulders of six geniuses, at least four from my last count. So, yeah, it's pretty impressive how many people are backing this that are, you know, industry vets and whatnot. That is the Cortex Prime RPG, now on Kickstarter, should be, and it's it's funded, it's clipping through stretch goals, and it's like every other RPG ever. Yeah, there are a ton of backing levels. Oof. Yeah, they, they've got to get that figured out one day. It works for RPGs, I don't know what they do. But anyway, you can do the, the $1 I want to get on the backer kit all the way up to the, up to the $100, get a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> Everything. For thirty-five bucks, you get the the book, and you can get it all, everything on PDF for for twenty-five dollars. You get a softback version of the book, and for ten dollars, you can get it on PDF. So it's it's a pretty cheap buy-in if you just want to check it out. So once again, Cortex Prime now on Kickstarter. Follow the link in the show notes. Okay, Jonathan, tell us about Moa. Is there a story? Because there's been a lot of stories today.
1: No, no real story. Uh, I mean, the, the, the big thing is this is a Martin Wallace game. And when Martin Wallace makes a new game, I sit up and I pay attention because he makes some really good games. Study in Emerald is is amazing. And in MOA, you, it's a fantasy interpretation of a clash between the native bird species of New Zealand and mammals. First of all, the first thing that catches your eye is the art in this game. The art is is phenomenal, fantastic. It's just beautiful. They've got some really nice, interesting fluff around them. And then the board itself is a, a version of New Zealand that's been diced up into 12 different pieces, different territories. And players can take actions in one of the two active terrain types. Each of those different territories has a different terrain type, and that's determined by cards that are dealt. Mark Wallace makes really good games, so I, I have not had a chance to dive super deep into the rules. But uh, knowing that it's a Martin Wallace game tells me everything that I need to know. That it's going to be solid, well balanced, and, and a fantastic game. At this time, it's doing okay. It's sitting at just shy of eleven thousand dollars. It's going towards eighteen. It's coming from Ape Games. I've had a, a couple of Ape Games Kickstarters make it to me, and they produce a really nice, nice finished product. It's really not expensive either. If you backed Dino Rush, which I did, then you can get the game for thirty-seven dollars. Uh, if you backed Petricore which is another game that they published recently, you can get the game for $37. Otherwise, you can just get the game for $40. You can also get MOA and Petricore together in a bundle for $92.
0: Once again, that's MOA by Martin Wallace and Ape Games.
1: And finally, the last Kickstarter we're going to look at today is another one that I noticed that caught my eye. And that is Farsight, Corporate Warfare in a Dark Future. First of all, the art in this game looks amazing. So this is a, a game by Jamie Jollies, and it's being published by a, a gentleman named Lewis Shaw, and he is the managing director at Brain Crack Games. Ah, nice. They produce a couple different Kickstarters, including Mind Out and um, Downsize, a competitive card game. And this is a very different direction for this company. This is Grimdark Future. So Farsight looks like a combination of Front Mission, if you remember the, the old Square Enix game. Kind of a, um, it's like a,
0: a modern scythe almost. Wait, you're asking people to remember a video game from 1995 as your description?
1: Oh, just. <laughs> 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 you
0: know what this really reminds me of? That latest Stone Temple Pilots album I just listened to. Sand in the Vaseline? Yeah, that's right, buddy. You know it's a real rockin' album? Never mind just came out does that remind you of this game <laughs> it's moments I like seen this that i this want this <laughs> to
1: be a solo show <laughs> i
0: haven't seen effects this good since Jurassic park
1: You're they so were masked. amazing well the game is the game looks fantastic there's a fantastic core set that comes with two map boards which is great a bunch of cards and unit tiles which are used uh on the board it comes with dry erase pens uh, to help you keep track of things on the reference board, which I appreciate. That's a, a nice reusable way of doing things. And then you can also add onto it a miniature set, which contains 40 scale models, and that takes the place of the chits, the tokens. So they went with shadows over, or pardon me, the heroes of Normandy approach to, th- to tactics rather than models. But you can get models for it, which I really appreciate. I think that's a cool thing. Basically, you prepare based on unforeseen events which come from a deck. You deploy your units onto the battlefield. You deploy them face down. And they're only revealed if they are spied on, which is a different section of the game. You have specialist units which can actually sabotage enemy units beforehand. That includes assassinating specialists, etc., spying on your enemy to to determine what units they have. And then you do battle. And this is a very traditional kind of tactical battle. Because I think Heroes of Normandy is a great game, this has really caught my eye. And it's got a a lot of really good reviews on the Kickstarter
0: page, too. So that's a a really good sign. So that is Farsight Corporate Warfare from Brain Crack Games. (laughs) You love that name. I love that name. (laughs) All
1: right. Well, when we return after a short break, we will be diving deep into Tales from the Loop, which is a new RPG from...
0: Free Ligen. (laughs) Yeah, from the
1: Free League uh, out of Sweden. I can't wait to talk about this one. I really had a good time reading it. So we will see you right after this break. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're
0: doing by doing one of the following. You can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com
1: slash forgotmydice. We post all our articles there, so feel free to comment, or you can message us directly via the Facebook Messenger. We also have Facebook comments enabled for all our posts at
0: forgotmydice.com. You can also message us or tweet us on the Twitter. Find us at ForgotMyDice. You can join us on the Freebooter Network message boards. Find your way there by going to freebootersnetwork.com and click on the Freebooters forum. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give the Freebooters Network a review on iTunes. Lastly, for those of you listening from the depths of interstellar space, make sure you turn your controls 18 degrees to the left and flip the intensifier disc on and off again interstellar space yeah they listen to podcasts on (sighs) interosters captain come in it's a war zone out here the trolls are about to overrun our position there's casualties everywhere no one can have a decent conversation without exploding into flame wars i understand sir The other Mont and I are trying to hold them back, but no matter how many we ban, they just keep coming back in greater numbers. Captain, tell my wife, I... Ah! Free Buddha's Forums. A great place to chat with no trolls and no BS. All gaming, all the time. www.freebuddhas.com
1: And now it's time for our Deep Dive. And today's Deep Dive game is
0: Tales from the Loop. And Robert, go ahead and run us through Tales of the Loop. The landscape was full of machines and scrap metal connected to the facility in one way or another. Always present on the horizon were the colossal cooling towers with their green obstruction lights. If you put your ear to the ground, you could hear the heartbeats of the loop. The purring of the Gravitron, the central piece of engineering magic that was the focus of the loop's experiments. Sci-fi artist Simon Stålenhag's paintings of Swedish 1980s suburbia populated by fantastic machines and strange beasts have won global acclaim. And now you can step into the amazing world of The Loop. So, Robert,
1: let's start talking about the setting. And this is something you and I both know well, because this is when we grew up. It was the 80s. This is essentially Stranger Things, the RPG.
0: Kinda. Yeah. Kinda. Uh, uh, in a big way. <laughs> Maybe. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. That's actually going to come up later. But I, you can easily look at it that way. And I remember when the, the Kickstarter hit, they, they, I don't know if they directly stole the music from Stranger Things. I think they did. <laughs> <laughs> and they they, they, they they did not care because apparently, I guess, a copyright of music in Sweden is not a thing. At the very least, it's very much channeling the, the 80s kids' movies. So think you're Goonies. Stranger Things was obviously channeling that. Even it, the miniseries, I don't even, I think that was more of the early 90s, but that's definitely got this vibe too, where you are kids in a town and there is weirdness and you are investigating it. You meddling kids and your damn dog, too, (laughs) maybe. The main thing about the world is it is the 80s. You know, Michael Jackson is the king of pop. Dungeons and Dragons is in its original golden age of advanced Dungeons and Dragons by Gary Gygax. And VHX and Betamax are still fighting it out. And Reagan is is the the President of the United States. So it it is that eighties. But then again, Jonathan, how is it not the eighties? The premise of the game is that
1: the Soviets have developed something called magnetrine flight. And that was at the tail end of World War Two, So that gives us ships that have disks on the bottom, kind of similar to the ships from uh, the Matrix. So these propel the ships through the air, basically defying gravity, and they follow the loops of the magnetic field. And they only, for whatever reason, work in the Northern
0: Hemisphere. Yeah, they say they kind of work in the Southern Hemisphere, but you can't build big ones. you got to build, like, little ones, yeah. more like skiffs, so... So in the 60s, the, both the U.S. and Sweden make
1: these huge particle accelerators and start to do a bunch of different experiments, and that serves as the premise for the loop because whether you're playing in the Swedish setting or whether you're playing in the American setting, you are playing in the town right next to one of these particle accelerators. It should also be said that there's a lot of robots in the game because at some point in the game's past, the a, a Japanese company has figured out how to get them to balance right, and so there's all these self-propelled, self gyro balancing robots
0: and, and intelligent robots too. Yeah, like some, some do have AI. It is the '80s. It, it's everything that you think of, like pop culture wise. You know, Madonna, all, all that, all that stuff. All the movies of the '80s. They they kind of pretty much say all of that still exists. It's just the world itself is, in a lot of ways, much more futuristic. But then again, I mean, they're still using VHS and Betamax, which is bizarre. So it, it's it's a very kind of anachronistic setting. But I I really dug it, and the the art in the book is what really sells this setting. It's fantastic because you see all of these pictures of you know kids, and next to these just you know just cool looking robots, and the whole art of the setting and and just the art that the this RPG is based on is just so evocative and just yeah. like just. Gives I mean, you first, like 50 cc's all, of imagination right to your brain. Yeah.
1: First of all, I mean, just the artist's ability to render scenes is amazing. Uh, from from a composition standpoint where he's capturing aspects of the world like innocence, uh, just because of the way that, that the image is composed or the way the children are posed. And then it's kind of funny because you'll see like a 1980s Volvo in all its square boxed goodness. And it's being serviced by a giant servo arm coming out of a, a machine. Or it will be, uh, you'll, you'll see a, a classic big rig from the 80s. And what's on the back? Oh, a giant stored up walking tank.
0: It is a, it's a very weird setting. And basically, the artist we mentioned, Simon Stallenhag, he did an art book called Tales from the Loop, uh, which was actually kickstarted uh, quite a few years ago. And one of the stretch goals for that Kickstarter was to do this RPG. So now this is the RPG that's come out. So the art art for it is just, it's amazing. Like, I we we can't stress that enough. No, no, we and, really can't. And the cool thing is it's got a very consistent vision because all of the color pieces in this game are by that one artist. The book has a very, very consistent vision of what it, what it wants to be. And it, it communicates that just throughout very, very well. And I yeah. love, I love... The flying boats. Oh no, the the
1: flying boats are are, are very clever and they're very well designed and they really you know, they they show off the futuristic aspect with with still anchoring themselves very firmly. Yeah, because it looks like
0: old, old, stupid tugboats, but then they have all those weird discs on the bottom yeah, that make them float. floating yeah and
1: but they actually produce an ad for the tugboats in the uh in the game on page 33 if you're if you have a happen to have a copy in front of you and the ad is awesome because it is pure 1980s
0: <laughs> yeah it's pretty
1: amazing it's a numbered list of why reasons why this item is awesome
0: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's beautiful they give you two settings in the book they give you a swedish setting which is the malarian islands and and the loop is situated on one of the islands, and they give you like the town and where everybody lives. It's very, very well detailed. And then the U.S. setting is Boulder City, Nevada. And interestingly, both of these places are real places. Uh, the the Swedish islands exist, and there's people that live on them. But none of the the town names match up, although the roads do, which I found pretty pretty good. I like I like little details like that. And then Boulder City obviously exists. That's where people built the Hoover Dam <laughs> yep. in America. So I read that Wikipedia page for fun after I got <laughs> done with the book. And yeah, reading about the facts about Boulder. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So, but they give you a chapter on both of the cities, and it's really nice. They, they tell you about them. They tell you what people were doing, what the weather's like. And that's actually been one of my favorite
1: parts about reading the book because they do such a good job of showing you what life was like for, some, for a kid in the 1980s in both countries because they really nail the American aspect of it. You
0: Yes, they do. And, and I can being, only assume since yeah, they are Swedish. Swedish yeah. You'd
1: think that it, and the, the juxtaposition of those two viewpoints is fascinating because kids are kids no matter where they are. Yes. I definitely took that away from it. But life in Sweden is just so much different during that era.
0: I wouldn't even call it different. It's just, it's it's like looking at it through just a slightly different lens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's the same thing, but there's just something that's, you know, Swedish about it, I guess. Like living in an Ikea. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> The part you didn't read, because I, I didn't let Jonathan read the whole book, because I, I told him, if he ever wants to play this game with me, don't read the adventures in the back of the book. So I did not read the adventures. That was good. But the cool thing about the adventures is they do give you both ends. So the adventures are written from the Swedish point of view. But at any time they mention a character name or a place, in brackets, they will say where that place is in Boulder City. So, you know, instead of having, you know, weird Swedish name that's hard to pronounce, you know, they'll just say... This is Maria, Maria Walls, or whatever. I, you know, the, I I thought that was that was nice. And also in the adventures, they have maps because they'll show you where the locations are. Because a lot of the adventures have you moving around Boulder City or the islands, and they produce both maps and they they give you exactly where all these places are. So and the
1: maps, by the way, are awesome because yes. um, both in the font that they chose and the way the map is laid out. The moment I looked at the map, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I feel like I'm looking at one of my parents' National Geographic maps from the 80s. It, it, they're perfect.
0: Yeah, and the map is double-sided. It's got Boulder City on one side, and it's got the islands on the other. And you can see that in uh, on our show notes. I, I took a picture before we recorded tonight of our books with uh, both maps side by side, so you can see both sides of it, because we both got copies of the book, so it was very handy in that regard. The section about life and the, the 80s stuff was really, really well done. Yeah, I, it, I really enjoyed it. Quite it does a it.
1: good job setting a scene.
0: Yes, yeah. So let's get to the basic mechanics of the game. So
1: basic mechanics are, are pretty straightforward. You build a dice pool of D6s based on what? one of your four attributes, and those are body, tech, heart, and mind. If you have a skill attached to that attribute, then you get to e- build an even larger dice pool. So for instance, body has things like sneak, force, and move, which makes sense.
0: Yeah, most of the skills are pretty self-explanatory.
1: Yeah. You add any modifiers that you have. You lose dice for conditions that you might have. You,
0: and, and that's the system's version of hit points.
1: Yeah. You gain dice if you, uh, if you have or, or can help using an item that you have. And then you put them all together into a pool, roll them out, and you try and get as many sixes as possible. Now, this is where the system kind of becomes a very modern narrative system because it's all about gaining success. And for the vast majority of things that you do in the game, it's one success gets you that, that achieved.
0: And if you are unlucky and don't roll it, you do have two options that are available to you. There are luck points that are in the game. Luck points are you you spend a luck point and you re-roll any of the dice that you want. So say you're aware that you probably need to get two or three successes. Uh, one success is easy, two is hard, and three is darn near impossible. And so, yeah, it's like, say you roll, you're pretty sure you need to get those three successes. You already got two, so you just pick up all the dice that didn't roll six and roll them again. That is how you use your luck points. Also, you can push. And what pushing does is it gives you one of those conditions. So you have four conditions. They are upset, scared, exhausted, and injured. And if you have all four, if you have the clean sweep, (laughs) you become broken, which basically means you're out of the game for a while while you repair your mental state
1: now this is a good time to actually interject and say that in the game they they make it a point that the kids can't die Mm -hmm. and i think that's important because that anchors it so well into that that 80s vibe on the movies because if you look at movies like the goonies if you look at movies like indiana jones and stand by me stand by me and if you even if you look at recent stuff like stranger things spoiler alert the kids don't die that's not something that happens to them other characters could die, but mm-hmm. the kids are immune to
0: harm. The way that you heal up is you have an anchor, which is somebody uh, that you feel comfortable with. So maybe it's your parent, maybe it's a, a buddy. But you go to them, you spend a scene with them, boom, all your stuff's healed up, and you're back in the game. So it, it's a pretty it's a pretty narrative system. You know, there's not much to it. It's just roll dice, yeah. roll high, and, and that's a very modern trend.
1: All right, well, let's move into character creation, because this is something that I actually really enjoyed, uh, both reading through and and I actually did roll up a couple characters just for fun. Um, <laughs> oh, you players, you, with your making up characters. I know. It's important to us. We enjoy it. So, uh, character creation is, is very straightforward. You choose a template, and these templates are um, very... How should I put this? They're stereotypes. Yeah, they're, they're high-level stereotypes. They're archetypes
0: of... for characters that are in all of the movies that we've mentioned numerous yeah. times.
1: You've got the bookworm. Um, you've got a computer geek. You've got a jock. You've got a hick. Got the rocker, and you've got the popular kid. You've got the weirdo. You've got the troublemaker, and all of these kids are basically ripped out of a combination of John Hughes and Steven Spielberg movies. Yeah, you've seen these kids on screen. You know what they're about.
0: Yeah, and and picking them just—it's a template. It just gives you certain things.
1: Each one of the templates gives you a set of key skills. For instance, the jock is all about force, move, and contact, right? Which makes perfect sense given his character type. And then you get to choose an iconic item. And that iconic item can be something like, in the case of the jock, a baseball bat or a hockey stick or a BMX bike. After you choose your iconic item, you get a problem, and every one of these archetypes has a different set of problems that they
0: might have. And, and don't get us wrong. You can make up their own. Yes. Y- yes. These are just by examples. no
1: means trapped within these lists. These are just examples. Uh, but the example given is my brother refuses to go out of his room since the accident, or my teacher hates me, or I cannot read very well, and they want to move me to a special class. These problems are things that uh, are basically tools for the GM to create strife during the game. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and in the adventures, when, when you read them, they talk about that quite a bit, actually. Yes. And then they give you sort of points during the... I mean, even the example adventures, they say it's like, here's a good time to have something happen. And and they just kind of like leave it at that. So even even the, the adventures that are in the book themselves are very narrative and, and very much like, you know, this stuff that the players are writing down in their character sheets, like, yes, use that right now. Go. Um, after that, you get to choose what
1: drives you. Like, I'm in it for the thrill um, something that you're proud of, like my father's a firefighter. You get to determine your relationship to the other kids in your parties, relationships to any of the NPCs that are going to be in the adventure, and you get an anchor, which is um,
0: basically that's that's what I already—it's the healing mechanic. Yeah, the, the
1: the the healing mechanic. It's it's an NPC that you're you're really that is really important to your character. And then, of course, you get to name them, and that that is the basis of your character.
0: And, and like good narrative systems, what all of this is doing is it's adding in story elements and it's expanding the world because Boulder City or whatever is laid out for you. And and the GM, even in the adventures, you have a couple characters that are already written, but the players themselves are expanding the cast because the anchor is obviously going to be someone important to you. And so you know, even if you know if it's your older brother or something, now you've got to name your older brother. Now you got to say why you like them so much, why hanging out with them makes you feel better, and it, it gives. It just gives stuff for you know the, the GMs to... It gives rope to the, for the GMs to hang you with, to be quite honest. It's something you see a lot these days in narrative games. And I, I dig that because it, it sort of... Because you have to write all this stuff down, it forces story into it. And it forces you to start thinking that way. And anything that can draw the characters into building the world, I think, is a good thing. And and especially when you get something as crazy and as imaginative as the art that you see all over this book. like yeah. Shoehorning your characters into that is it's just a good idea.
1: Now, once you have done all this, you get to basically start age-statting your character. And the age is actually where you're going to determine how many points you have to play with in terms of stats, and also how many points you have to play with in terms of luck.
0: So how does that work, Robert? Okay, well, it's pretty simple. Uh, characters in this game can be from the age of 10 to 15. And if you are 10, you get 10 points to put in your stats. If you are 15, you get 15 points. So do the math. If you're 13, it's it's exactly how you think. Inversely... The older you are the less luck points you have so if you're 10 years old you have five luck points if you are 15 years old you have one would you when your character turns 16 in the story you are out of the game because now you are one of those characters that is no longer one of the gang of kids you have you know more pressing concerns like learning how to drive and dating I guess you know but the the, the 15 is the bar that they set. And, you know, you see this a lot in those movies. There's there's definitely a divide between the younger kids on the mystery and the older ones that are, you know, sometimes they're NPCs or whatever, but they're not as integral to the story. It, it's kind of a trade-off. Luck points are very handy because re-rolling dice, and especially re-rolling the dice you want to re-roll, is very powerful. But then again, you know, just having higher stats <laughs> means you can roll more dice, and, you know, it means you don't have to spend as many luck points. So it's a nice, it's a nice trade-off, and... The game itself is very much designed to be played over, over time, like the adventures they give you in the back of the book. Sorry, spoiler alerts on all these adventures. Retroactive spoiler alert. Just consider the whole show that way. <laughs> um, those take place over a year. The game itself has an inherent time limit set to it, and the way that they set up the game, it really encourages you to stick to that time limit that, you know, four adventures, give or take, sh- should take up a year's worth of time. And so your characters are going to age out and eventually retire or whatever. And you either will have to make a new character or, what, or you know, or maybe that's when the game will come to an end. Maybe and, the GM will say everybody's 12, deal with it.
1: And I really like that, actually, because um, being able to age out characters is kind of neat because then they become an NPC. And in that transition, you get to actually kind of explore how, how children change into adults. I think that's a really clever idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it opens up the possibilities. You can make up a completely new character that you know moves into town or whatever, or you could just start playing someone's little brother who ages into the magic age of being 10 to 15. Yep. That covers kind of the basic setting and the rules and how to make a character, which is all the front part of the book. Now let's get back to that GM side of the book. The GM half of the book basically consists of three chapters. There is the requisite how to build a mystery adventure, which uh, I read it. Nothing stood out to me as anything I hadn't read before in numerous, numerous games. Uh, no, from but it's, Cthulhu, it's well Knights laid Black out, and it's 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 appropriate just yeah, to somebody is new to the world. It's not to the, it, the concept, and it's not bad. It's not bad. i you know I mean I, I didn't I didn't read anything. I was like oh my god, this blew my mind. But I didn't read anything. It's like wow, they skipped a lot. <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's very. It does what it needs to do. It's a very good uh, book, or it's a very good chapter in the book. Just you know, to, tells you how to make up uh, very simple mystery stories and go from there.
1: And and one of the big things that you see during all these mysteries is the concept of trouble. And they actually have an entire chapter that outlines trouble as well and how how they kind of dictate the way trouble works in the world.
0: Yeah, and troubles troubles are just basically among other things, it's anything you have to roll a skill test for. And and much like a lot of modern narrative systems, uh the the dice are all player faced. Yeah. So, you know, if you have a trouble, like someone's about to punch me, uh, you know, you have to roll dice. If you are going to go punch someone, you have to roll dice. So it's like cypher system and a lot of other games like that where all the dice rolling is on the player's side and any resources they want to spend to modify their dice rolling is up to the player, which I like systems like that. It sounds like it's not intuitive, but typically they actually are the chapter that sold this book to me and really made the book come together was the mystery locations chapter. Cause this is when, this is the point where I figured out what this game wanted to be. Uh huh. And the mystery locations is basically it's a, this this chapter by the way is excellent the whole notion of it is the ch- the chapter on how to build mysteries is just like, oh, this is how you construct mystery adventures. Blah, blah, blah. It, I've read it, that a million times. It's more
1: focused on narrative and how to construct...
0: Uh, a, a plot. A plot, yeah. Mystery landscapes, on the other hand, and mystery locations are is a chapter about how to run this game as a sandbox where you invent whole cloth, you know, several random locations and ideas and whatnot And you just sort of let your kids run around town and possibly experience some of these things and sort of like lay down this list of like, oh, you know, there's this haunted house and oh, there's this weirdo who lives over here and, you know, whatever. And you let the players dictate where they want to go. Yeah. And having come off of uh, the Dracula Dossier, which is another sandbox game, like this chapter, it's just, it's really good. (laughs) I don't even know what to say about it. It's really good. It really lays out for you exactly how to run a very, very sandboxy game where it forces the players to decide what they want to do and how to deal with that. And some lessons, I, as I was reading it, I'm like, I wish they had some lessons I learned from Knights Black Agents in here. Uh, the key one being, try to just stay a step ahead of your characters. So instead of just kind of like letting go nuts in the beginning, this is what I'd recommend. Write an intro adventure w- with a very specific plot using that previous chapter. And then at the end of it, just kind of introduce the craziness of the town and then ask your players, where do you want to go next session? And then let them decide. And then then you come up with the adventure, so you're not coming up with stuff on the fly. That's just the easiest way to run it. Hint, I don't think they talk about it in there. But regardless, that chapter is excellent. Like the whole way to construct a sandbox, they get really well. Yeah. And and, and here's, the, here's the best part. I, I read that, and I was not thinking Tales from the Loop. <laughs> I read that, and I was thinking, I'm going to try to use this in my D&D game, because that's been my latest thought experiment. And it, that that's how good this chapter is. It's not just good for this game. It's good I, I for think running this, anything. this
1: chapter really defines the system Yeah, uh, in a major way because you can take the lessons learned from this chapter and take that core system and you don't necessarily have to be in this alternate 1980s. You could be um, in basically any movie you wanted to be in mm-hmm. and, and, and acting that out with the kids uh, but the first one that came to mind was Monster Squad like I think Monster Squad would make a perfect RPG. Uh, it, it does take place in the 80s but it doesn't take place in these 1980s. No. Well this sandbox chapter gives me everything I need to really allow that to happen mm-hmm. and I think that's awesome.
0: And, and that's the thing it's the the rules part of it is very, very rules neutral. like there's not a lot that's directly tied into the system. So just using it anywhere is 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 really, really easy. it's a it's a very, very good chapter. like it's a very very where Dracula dossier was a very high level. this is how you run a sandbox game. This is a very good introduction on how to run a sandbox game, and it was amazing. And I, I cannot recommend this book enough just for this chapter alone. It was really, really well thought out. And yeah. the adventure ideas they have in it, the, the locations that they give you, are brilliant. Yeah, no, they're there's, awesome. Because there's, some of them are just references to movies, and I caught a lot of them. Some of them are well, actually, all of them are just references to movies. But the way that they slotted that all in the town and, and basically to give you the idea of, like, you know, yes, crib heavily from your movie collection, you know, in the genre, and this is how you sort of twist it into this world. To yeah, give that, you examples, oh, that chapter so is good. giving
1: you an excuse to go raid your your Blu-ray shelf and start looking yeah. through all of your favorite movies and, so and rewatch good. them for ideas so, because it, it's yeah it's so well put together. So good. Now at this point we move into the chapters that we're not going to talk about, which are the pre-made adventures uh, in the book.
0: Yeah, I think I've already mentioned everything I can. Uh, like I said, they're it's cool because they give you the Boulder City stuff, they give you the Isle stuff, they give you Swedish names, they give you more of American names. There is a complete storyline there from A to Z. It takes place over one year, and it's it, it would make a very satisfying mini-campaign. The intention of all of the adventures is you can play the first three, uh, probably in about a session, and then the final one should take two to three. And yeah, it's it's got an interesting world. I think the original art book followed this narrative, based off of the art being very <laughs> tied into what's going on. Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't actually ever buy the or, or even read the original Tales from the Loop art book. But this makes me want to. Yeah, gotta tell you. I've got yeah, yeah, it me. does. I, 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 I thought I was clever because I was like, I'll just get this RPG and then I won't need to get the art book. Ha 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 ha! And then I was like, I think I need to get this art book. Yeah. <laughs> Some of my favorite are the the
1: portraits of where there's obviously uh, you know winter in Sweden and there's dinos running around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, that's a thing.
0: I, I want to know what's going on. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an adventure. Yeah, that happens. So. So no spoilers. In general, I mean the adventures were were fine. I, I, none of them struck out as me as like insane genius, but none of them were bad either. They were for what they needed to be. They were very good. It gives you a very good, basically mini campaign to run over the course of you know probably six to seven sessions, which you know honestly ninety percent of the games I run. That's about as long as they last anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's very rare that people are motivated enough to go beyond that. So playing to that strength, I don't think is a bad thing. And the only time you don't see, uh, I think I think the artist did some of the art, uh, the black and white art, but I'm not sure he did all of it. So, but I, actually, well, that'll be easy to see. Where's the What's the artist's credits in the front of the book? Never mind. Okay, so checking the credits like intelligent people do. Uh, yeah, no, Simon did all the art. So, yeah, even the black and white stuff is his. So, yeah, no, no wonder this book has such consistent tone. Yeah. Well, and and that's another thing that we
1: can definitely bring up. I mean, just generally speaking from a design perspective, the book is very well laid out. Um, I think it, it follows a real logical flow. It really does a good job of teaching you mechanics within context. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that chapter that we called out on, on world building is amazing. Just the highlight of the read.
0: Like from the, the, the point of view of like just, you know, reading everything from, you know, how to make a character, the, yeah. the setting stuff. Like finishing off with that was just like the knockout punch. <laughs> like It yeah. was like it just nailed it. Like it was it was so good.
1: I think overall, the book is is phenomenally laid out. I think from a graphic design standpoint, it's just nothing short of perfection. Everything is clear. It gives plenty of play examples right where it needs to. It does a really good job of laying out call-outs in boxes and whatnot. And I think it just has so much fluff throughout just to kind of give you that 80s vibe. It's just,
0: it's really well done. So now now we get to the the review section. (laughs) Jonathan. How was execution? I mean, you, you've already talked about it a little bit, but, but hits misses. I,
1: I think this this the only complaint I have is is a minor one at that. Uh, having lived through the 1980s, I kind of have an idea of what technology was available. And every so often, when I'm looking at the pictures, it seems like some of the technology is a little bit further than it should be. The designs of the robots being as futuristic and as liquid, it just doesn't seem to speak to me like 1980s design. It, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. Because the, the 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 droids that you're looking at aren't necessarily Star yeah, Wars. Like droids. you look
1: at all the 1980s cars, and they've got a certain boxiness to it, whether they were American or, or Swedish or anything. Everything had a certain boxiness to it. But then you've got these sleek, slick looking droids
0: that look a bit too modern. I, I would I, I would venture to say a little bit too anime even. Yeah, because yeah. the the curves and stuff. And, and what what you end up with is just it it just seems
1: like occasionally you'll find an element that just seems a little bit out of time. I can't necessarily fault it because you know what? We're talking about an alternate history where things have evolved in a different path. So what's to say that it hasn't evolved in that path?
0: And, and that might be the point of the original art yeah, book too, yeah. because it, it really makes the the stuff that shouldn't be there really stand out.
1: Yeah. But it's, I don't know, it's just something that I noticed and I, I, my head noted it because I was having a hard time finding anything else to fault in this book at the end of it i was so stoked to sit down and play this game i want to get into it and i don't know whether it's because i grew up in this time period or because of the writing of the book but it's just kind of really captured my imagination and i just i want to roll up a character and i want to play in this world this world is awesome i like the system too i think that it's a very modern system it's very
0: easy to pick up and teach I think that uh, this would be well, yeah. Just rolling a pile of d sixes, like yeah. that. There's, there's nothing simpler than that. And that's, a, that's the beauty, too. Like well, if you've and got and somebody even- who who doesn't play games like this, you know, you don't have to tell them to go to a weird store and buy a whole bunch of funny dice. No. it's like go raid the board game cabinet and just pull out all the d sixes you can find.
1: And, and, and even beyond that, I mean, just like the the core concepts of how you build your dice pool, it's all in there and it's all very basic and and in a very positive way. I think this is a great beginner game for mm-hmm. folks to help them get into the concept of RPGs. Um, but it's also very modern. and I think it's, it's going to tell really good stories. Of course, that's all going to depend on the GM. But right. I, I think that they give you all the tools to tell really good stories.
0: It made me very curious about some of their other RPGs. Go- going back to the dice system because it it is so simplistic. And to me, like their Mutant Zero, the post-apocalyptic game, probably needs to be a little bit more crunchy because you know guns and mutations and whatnot. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious now how they handle that stuff. So I might have to go pick up one of their other books. I'm not sure if I want to do The Apocalypse. We'll see what else they ever, they ever publish.
1: Yeah, I mean, just to kind of wrap it up, I think that this book is phenomenal. Uh, I think this is a great system. Uh, I think it's a wonderful setting. I think for anybody in our age bracket, this is just to die for. It's just wonderful. I often found myself thinking of the way Miyamoto would describe Zelda in, in you know, being his child, like his childish fantasies being played out in the game. And... This is my kind of my world, right? These are my fantasies. This is what I wanted to have happen as a kid. I, I mean, who didn't watch Goonies as a kid and want to be a Goonie and want
0: to go find a pirate boat? Yeah, no kidding. And I think the best part about this is with that overly elaborate trap. It, it, <laughs> But I, I think the best part about and watching this, as adult, I'm like, how did that twine survive for a hundred years? Yeah, like well, that was the part that broke my merge. I'm like, don't, dude, that is that is amazing twine. Don't even
1: get me started there. <laughs> but, um, the best part about this book is that world building section because it lets you take the system and it lets you take the character creation and remove it out of this specific world and gives you all the tools that you need. Uh, to apply it to any world you want. You can make your 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 Monster Squad RPG. You can make your Goonies RPG. You have all the tools that you need here.
0: Okay, well, my main problem with it was I, during my initial reading, and you heard me talk about this a couple episodes ago when I was talking about reading the initial PDF. What I didn't get was it took me a while to figure out what Tales from the Loop wanted to be, and it wasn't very clear to me uh, from the get-go. Because on one hand, you have this art. This very, very, very good art. This art that seems to want to tell a story, and I guess does in the art book. But I'm like, again, we don't know what it is because none of us have that art book. But then the system itself gets very sort of like you said, like they give you all these tools to not do that. And it wasn't until I got to the the sandbox, the mystery, uh, the mystery setting chapter, that I figured out what it wanted to be. It doesn't want to necessarily be the tales from the loop RPG, although it is. It wants to be kind of a go-to RPG to run those 80s kids' movies. Yeah. And I think that's a bit of a miss. I mean, for one, I've got bubble gumshoe, so I've already got a system that does that. And it, it feels like a miss because they had all that great art. Like, they, they could have tied it more into the world. How with a system this light, I don't know. Because, like, equipment tables and robot, you know, building chapter, I don't know if it needs that. It, you know, robot's more of a plot device anyway in this game. So Oh, no, robot's definitely a plot device. Yes, I, I don't know what they could have done. It just feels like they, they had all this great art and this great vision. Up until the adventures at the very end, they never, like, grab onto it really hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think that's the only miss. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I say all that, and I say, like, you know, the, the Boulder City and whatever could have been a chapter in, in Bubble Gumshoe, and I maybe would have never noticed the difference. But uh, I like this book. <laughs> I like this book a lot. And, you know, maybe maybe you're one of those awful people that hates the gumshoe system. I feel sorry for you. I so feel sorry for you. That You know, maybe this, this system will float your boat. And so, yeah, I mean, if you want to play a kid's RPG, you know, I mean... Now you've got choice, <laughs> you know, or, or, and, you know, I mean, maybe, or maybe, you know, you, you read this and you're like, you yeah, know, I'm just going to use bubblegum shoe anyway. Who cares? You know, the, the, the sandbox chapter is still really good. uh, And, and just all the art and all the vision and, and the adventures, it'd be really easy to do in any other system, your, your system of choice, Savage Worlds or whatever. So, but yeah, I mean, that that's my one complaint. It, it felt a little, never quite gelled until the very, very, very end. It, and it just seemed like it didn't quite know what it wanted to be. This is a sort of vaguely horror kids based RPG where the the horror elements come from the science fiction stuff, you know, but you could just as easily run it. That would be super simple with the system. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you totally could.
1: So that is Tales from the Loop, the RPG core rulebook. It is available from DriveThruRPG at the cost of $24.99. Additionally, there are a lot of great products available on Modifius' website, although some of them are sold out, but it seems like they are uh, bringing them back. Tales from the Loop rulebook, uh, that is $45.99. And you can also get a GM screen, which is $26, um, some custom dice, which are uh, $20, and of course the maps, which if you got the Kickstarter, came right with it. And um, there is a free character sheet available for download, both at DriveThruRPG and Modifius' site. So do keep that in mind should you be wanting to make characters for this. And for anybody out there thinking about running a game, if you're looking for a player, give me a holler. I will (laughs) gladly jump in.
0: Yeah, my my list of shame of games I need to run is is long. If you run one of these, I'm so in. And playtesting. Playtesting is eating up a lot of that time. That's what sucks about making game stuff. You don't have time to play games. (laughs) Uh. Well, that brings us to the end of another
1: episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Lots of good stuff discussed today. Uh, As always, we want to get you in touch with us, so hop online and grab any of our digital outlets. We are available, of course, on the Freebooters Network, where we have some fantastic forums. Uh, We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter feed. We have Robert's Pinterest love. Well, we will be back in two weeks when we bring you all the latest in news and Kickstarters and, of course... We are going to be talking about another book, but this time not an RPG book. We are going to be talking about Empire of Imagination, which is a book all about Gary Gygax, the father of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, And we are actually going to be having an opportunity to chat with the author, Michael Whitwer. So definitely check us out in two weeks when we come back with that.
0: Well, until then, Robert, any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? Yes, this weekend. So in the future past of when you're listening to it, uh, we will be at ChupacabraCon.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to ChupacabraCon. That should be fun.
0: Yeah, I need to figure out how to like record stuff on my iPad so I can do some interviews. Because Kenneth Height of Knights Black Agents is, is going to be there, John Wick. So we'll see if we can figure that out and get it on a future episode. Absolutely. Well, un- or Or if I don't figure out my iPad, I'm just saying this right now, and I'm going to look like an idiot in two episodes. Which
1: will be awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, until
1: then, join us again in two weeks. Robert, party on. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was Intro by Elifio and Retro Funk by Persephone, both used with permission via the Creative Commons license.